Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. The finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel and MinutemanTickets.com. All your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, the Let's Talk Football, Let's Do Less Grab-Ass edition of the 17th most popular college or high school football podcast in America, at least for one of the days last week. I usually say fake rankings. I'm going to look it up what it is right now. That was a real ranking. Yeah. It was a real ranking. We don't really know how it works, but that's because of you guys. So thanks for your dedication. We're number 16 now. We're number 16 right this very moment. We are currently number 16 in the college charts, which means that we are the Mississippi State of college and high school sports podcasts on iTunes. I've heard that before. Yeah. The, are they the Winking Lizards? The Mississippi State, Mississippi winking, State winking Lizards? Yeah. 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 Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks for spreading the word on Buckeye Talk. We are going to dig in on the TCU Horned Frogs. Bill Landis, Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek not here today. He's off for a little bit, um, but we get extra Bill and extra Doug. So we have your questions. We have things we want to talk about that relate to football. Um, and one thing I, I felt a little bit is, uh, is sometimes I feel regret about previous podcasts because sometimes I voice very strong opinions. And like at the end of the last podcast, I think I said Rutgers stinks like four times. And I yelled about people and what they should and shouldn't do on Twitter. So I was thinking maybe... We should have a segment each week where I apologize for things I said the week before. Oh, then, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. But but then I thought more about it, and I thought, yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. Getting a phone call from Orlando. I think it's Disney. Oh yeah. Do you get constantly on your work phone? Do you get calls about timeshares and stuff? I've never had a phone call from Orlando before. Oh really? No, I get calls yeah. from there all the time. Um, so we're gonna start with. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, and what some people think they may do to this TCU defensive line. But we also want to make one point before we dig in. A week ago, it was like a pledge drive. We were like asking you for something, offering you nothing, (laughs) but asking you for something. We had fallen to a four and a half star rating, which hurt our hearts. Mm -hmm. We asked for the loyal listeners of Buckeye Talk Nation to help us, and the loyal listeners of Buckeye Talk Nation responded, we will get to the results 
of that response after we talk about J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. I still am trying to call them J.K. Weber and Mike Dobbins. Mr. Ohio asked this question on Twitter when I put out the call, and I liked it because like a lot of people started answering his question the on best. the Twitter feed. I love when that happens. Yeah, it's like we have we want questions for a podcast. It's like, well, we don't need to do anything. You guys already <laughs> answered it. It's at uh, Mr. OH10. Well, Dobbins and Weber both run for 100 yards this weekend. And then Adair83, A-D-A-R-E-8-3, replied, with the difference in height and weight between our offensive line and their defensive line, there's no reason they both can't have 150 each. Wow. So we did our due diligence, which was look at the depth chart. Talk to us, Bill, about the TCU defensive line. So I guess I'll start by saying that they're missing their starting nose tackle. His name is Ross Blacklock. He's a big dude. He was like 6'2", 330 pounds uh, thereabouts. And he's been out for the entire year. And he will be out for the remainder of the season. So he's missing. And their defensive line on paper does appear to be a bit slight. Uh, just the starters across the board, uh, end 6'4", 249, tackle 6'2", 290, tackle 6'2", 286. The other end is 6'2", 235. Uh, they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 guys listed on the depth chart at the four defensive line positions, and one of them is over 300 pounds. He's a backup tackle named George Ellis, who's 6'2", 304. He's a redshirt freshman. I have no idea how much he plays. But this is a smaller line. Um, I think it's a good point to make because Ohio State's defense, our offensive line is gigantic. They average 6'6", 312. Um, that's got to be one of the bigger lines in the country. Maybe Wisconsin's a little bigger, but I can't imagine there are many that, are, that average better than 6'6", 312, and that's what Ohio State's working with. So I think it's a fair point. I think I think looking at those the physical discrepancy between the two, I think you can expect Ohio State to have some success running the ball. But I will say, and this is just from like reading about TCU, and it's this is these are last year's stats, and some players are gone. They were really good against the run last year. They had the number five rushing defense last year. Uh, looking at some of the stuff from Bill Connolly, who writes for Football Study Hall, they were eighth in the country in stuff rate, which is tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Really? They're, they sell out against the run. At least that's what they were doing last year. They really committed to stopping the run, which left them vulnerable to explosive passing plays, which happened to them a lot. They were actually quite bad against against the pass in comparison to how good they were against the run last year. So I actually am not on the lookout for – 100 and 100 or 150 and 150, I think we might see a lot of Haskins throwing the ball. I Would you not try the run first? Sure. And if they can't stop it, you run all game and turn yeah. Dwayne Haskins into a handoff machine and suck, get them to suck up to the line and then... Boom. I mean, this, and, and this is, we have a lot of things that we want to write about this week. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but I think you and I are both very interested in sort of the, the way Ohio State is combining the pass game and run game. Yeah. Right. Because one of the things we're, we're, we're going to get into in this podcast, and maybe we'll get into it right now, is the idea that Sean Robinson, the TCU quarterback, is an Ohio State kind of quarterback. He's a zone read kind of quarterback. He's a run threat kind of quarterback who also can really throw the ball. He's really good. He's a dangerous quarterback. And Ohio State does not have that zone read run threat quarterback right now, as we've talked about. I think it's completely gone. You think it's 
not completely gone. I'm more on the it's completely gone bandwagon. So I asked Ryan Day this week, like, is is Dwayne Haskins making reads in the run game? And he kind of said yes, but I still didn't exactly believe him. And I also don't know, have you heard of the term RPO? I have, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really passionate offense is mm-hmm. what it is. And it's just, you get it in your heart. You get it in your soul. And what you do is you get in the huddle and you say, let's go, guys, let's go! And then you run the play and you say, that was an RPO. Mm-hmm. We were really passionate. That's how the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yeah. They, yeah. You know who runs it great? Carson Wentz. Yeah. So passionate. North Dakota passion, one of the best kinds of passion. So, oh, let's go. Let's get them. Get those horned frogs. So they're going to do some of that. And also sometimes as part of that, you can have a, you can run it or pass or it. Pass, yeah. Coincidentally, also the same letters. I don't, and I we talked a lot in the preseason, like we're going to see a lot of Dwayne Haskins f- get, offer a give, pull it, and throw it. And I don't think we've seen that. We've seen it. We have? Yeah. Am I not paying attention? I think maybe you're not paying attention. There's, here's the thing. is There's a popcorn. <laughs> the popcorn machine in the press box keeps the popcorn pretty fresh yeah. all game long. And sometimes if it's like, it's like, it's second and eight. Do I really need to watch this second and eight play? And I'll run and get a popcorn. That's when they must do it. Yeah. Like, I, I, my plan is, uh, so for the, the first two weeks, I've been writing a thing on Friday mornings that's like uh I used to do, we used to do five reasons Ohio State would win and five reasons Ohio State would lose, and then we realized nobody read that, so we're cha- we changed it up this year. And it's kind of the same information, just packaged differently, without the headline that says Ohio State will lose. Yeah. Um, but for this week, I'm, I'm planning on writing about, at least from what I can see, like the, the different ways they're still like getting a numbers advantage or freezing defenders with play action and RPOs and, and motions and stuff like that to counter the fact that their quarterback is not all that much of a run threat. Okay. And you were talking about the play action stuff too, right? That they Yeah, and it is it is hard, I think. Like what is it? It's hard, and I think you can watch the offensive line like on on most RPOs, half the offensive line will pass block and the other half will run block. And that's a pretty I think that's a good telltale sign of what they're doing. Um and if it's just straight play action, they're probably just going to all pass block. So watch the O-line. They get an idea of what they're doing. But they're mixing in both. It's not all RPO. It's not all just straight play action. And it is a little hard at times to figure out which is which. But they're definitely doing it. It's not every play, but there have been a few where where Dwayne Haskins is reading the safety or reading the linebacker and then drawing him in and throwing the ball where he's supposed to be. It's happened maybe, you know, four or five times, I think. Because the they, they do talk about – they. <laughs> you can ask Urban Meyer, like, what what's the weather? And his answer will include the fact that – you want to get a numbers advantage in the run game by yeah. keeping the quarterback as a run threat. Yeah. Greg Schiano brought us like, hey, what about TCU? Greg Schiano, numbers game, quarterback run threat. We know how important, even up the numbers, even up the numbers. And again, what that means, guys, you know this by now, I think, but when the quarterback's just a handoff machine, you're down. You're immediately down because that person isn't anything. They're just a post. That they're like that. That is a they're a delivery mechanism for the offense to start doing something, but they're not involved in it. So then you have eleven defenders defending ten people. But if the quarterback is a threat, now it's eleven on eleven, and you're you're taking somebody, usually a defensive end, in the most basic part of it. You're making a defensive end make a decision on: Am I going to focus on the running back or focus on the quarterback on this play? And sometimes you're taking that defender out of the play without blocking him. 
because you're making him guess and then you're watching what his guess is and doing the opposite. Yep. And you're eliminating him without a blocker. And that is quite an advantage, my friends. But when you have Dwayne Haskins slinging and winging, I, you know, you don't need advantages. He's the advantage. So I don't think they have to do all that stuff because so many other things work. But you're telling us and you're going to show us on Friday the ways they are still freezing defenders, mm-hmm. the way they are taking defenders out of plays without blocking them and maintaining advantages without doing it the JT Barrett way. Yeah, yeah. I think, And I have to go back and watch Oregon State. I, I watched it and wrote some stuff down, but I lost the notes, so I have to watch it again. Um, <laughs> Did the dog eat the notes? No, I might have ate them. <laughs> uh, but against the Rutgers, there were, yeah, there were a few things that stood out. One, one that I really liked, and I tweeted it out on Monday, was a play where they like faked the jet sweep to KJ Hill, and the entire defense bit on it, and then they just gave it to Mike Weber on an inside handoff, and he got like 15 yards. It was awesome. And I don't remember, remember remember them doing it, doing much of that, if any, before this year. But it's just like there's an option in the backfield, and the option is not quarterback and running back; it's H back and running back. But there's still there's two things happening. And you have to guess which one you want to go stop, and then Ohio State counters it. And so we don't. No one is suggesting that like Ohio State should go back to. You know, you don't have to be Woody Hayes. It's the modern game. But I also think, given back to sort of getting back to the original question, given the offensive line, given the size differential. Sorry, I was look. I want to look at the size of the linebackers too. Um, tiny linebackers. Middle linebacker is six two two zero six. Really. I get the on the other Pete, linebacker is six two two twelve. I get on Pete Warner for looking small. Pete Warner's two thirty six. Yeah. You know who's two two what was it what were the weights? Six two two oh six is like uh Me. Yeah. Yeah. You're the middle linebacker for TCU. You know how bad I would be at middle linebacker <laughs> with my arms flailing around like a windsock guy at a car dealership? Yeah. Oh, that seems bad for them. They're little. They are little. You know why? So we talked about this in a video the other day, and, and it's the idea of the Big 12 as this pass-happy, no-defense league, and, and most of the time TCU is sort of seen as the outlier to that, that TCU is the most defensive Big 12 team, and they've been really good. Um, I tried to write down some TCU stats, because I know you guys wanted some. From their game notes, since 2000, 10 win seasons, 10 wins, that's double digits, the team with the most 10-win seasons since 2000 is Oklahoma with 15. Then it's Boise State and Ohio State tied with 14. That seems wrong. I bet you they took out Ohio State's uh, year. They didn't. They got. They lost the yeah. Jim Trussell wins. I bet you they got 15. One Oklahoma, two Boise State, Ohio State, four TCU. So they have 12 double-digit win seasons since 2000. Like, this is a very consistently good program. This is Gary Patterson's 18th year. He's a guy that, like, has been – whenever people, like, talk about head coaching jobs and, like, hey, who's a head coach that could get a big job that doesn't have a connection to that school but just seems good? Gary Patterson's always on that list. Yep. And he's never left. So they're really good. But maybe – I mean, are they just built – are they built to stop the Big 12? Are they built that, okay, so they maybe aren't quite as defined as a pass-happy, try-to-win-games-52-48 kind of team, although I think they can do that also. 
But their defense, their good defense, is designed to deal with that. And then this goes back to this is the imaginary series that we have written in our heads and have never reported or written in real life. The differences in spread offenses and the difference between the Baylor Big 12 spread offense and the Urban Meyer power run spread offense. And that if TCU, they know this, they watch film. Rutgers did not watch film, by the way. I don't know what their game plan was. (laughs) other than try to get our own quarterback murdered. He was not injured, by the way. He can play. Art Sikowski. Good for him. I was worried about him. Yeah, I would be worried about anybody that Nick Bosa hit. Um, He's okay. He can play. But I don't know if TCU... TCU will have seen some of the Dwayne Haskins things, right? These players will have seen quarterbacks who do that. They will have seen Baker Mayfield... They will have seen uh, who are other Rudolph. who Mason? Mason Rudolph. Oh yeah, you liked him. Yeah, they right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now Joe Mixon and Samaji P Ryan. You know Oklahoma's good. Oklahoma's good, but yeah. I don't know that They're they the will. Outlier in that they will have seen consistently the power run part of the spread, and if this line gets a consistent push. And you get Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins to the little linebackers. I feel like this could be a game as much as like I think Dwayne Haskins is going to win the Heisman and he's the greatest quarterback in the history of footballs. <laughs> I think it's possible. I might be more. I think I might be opposite of you. I might be more on this. What our listeners are suggesting: this idea of big games for both tailbacks. Maybe they both get it 20 times, and Dwayne Haskins is something like 17 of 23 for 261 yards. They hit a big one here or there, but like he doesn't need to do a ton more because the first thing they try, which is let's run it first. Coaches always say that. A lot of times they don't mean it. Got to run to set up the pass. Sometimes you pass to set up the run. Yeah. But maybe they, they run to set up the pass, and they just end up running all day because TCU is little. Yeah, I think that's possible. I I, I, I guess I want to watch a little more of TCU before I fully go down that path. But but judging off the size, I think that's true. I do think like Baylor Baylor in the past has run the ball pretty well. Oklahoma State has run the ball pretty well. But I just think Ohio State does it differently. I think Ohio State has like I don't those teams like spread you out and run, but I don't think they run the same way that Ohio State does. If that makes sense. And you wrote about this immediately after the game. I think we everybody will agree that. Against any good defense, God, this is one. Games won in the trenches. Like I'm not. That's I don't, true. I don't mean that, but like when they play a good defense, this line, Dwayne Haskins needs protection to be Dwayne Haskins, right? I mean, that's just more so than some other Ohio State quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And then if they just dominate the line of scrimmage, they're going to run all day. So on the Ohio State side of things, what you have seen through five games from Thayer Munford, Malcolm Pridgen. Michael Jordan, Demetrius Knox, Isaiah Prince. What is your level of belief in them doing both things that we're talking about there? But let's start with the dominating the line of scrimmage for the run game, opening holes, letting J.K. and Mike run wild. Are they capable of that? Um, I don't. I don't know actually, because I thought like Rutgers. Rutgers was clearly selling out to stop the run, and it kind of worked. Um. 
the rushing numbers were not quite as good as they were against Oregon State. It was like Oregon State is just generally awful on defense, but I also think was just not concerned with stopping the run because they weren't able to. So they just like, we're going to drop back into coverage, and that didn't work either. Rutgers has better players. Chris Ash is a better defensive coach, and I think they came in with a plan, I think, to load the box and stop the run, maybe because they thought it was raining and Ohio State wouldn't try to throw, because if it was last year, that would have been true. Um, and it was tough to run. It was tough to run. J.K. Dobbins was better, but it wasn't like they – I think J.K.'s longest run was 20-something yards, and, and most of them were fewer than 10, and Mike Weber didn't really do anything. And I thought the offensive line was fine, but not not dominant in the run game than – as maybe you would expect them to be, and as they have been as in other games against Rutgers. So I think they're good. I think they're potentially very good. But I think this this could be hard for them. I think this could be hard for them because because of the kind of coach that Gary Patterson is. I think he can throw some things at this, what's still a pretty brand new offensive line, things they haven't seen before. And I trust the coaching on Ohio State side much more than I have the last few years, but I still think it can be quite an adjustment for Malcolm Pridgen and Michael Jordan and Thayer Munford. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not going to say right now that I'm totally confident in their ability to just run over TCU. So the, the thing, and this, this goes to the heart of what Ohio State's going to try to do to people all year long, and why? Am I too in love with Dwayne Haskins? By the way, can, and also, can I be? I feel like I fall in love with Dwayne Haskins, but I'm also, I'm also dancing with your girl a little bit with Tate no, Martell. Right. Is it okay to love both? Is it okay? This is like a, yeah. This is like a. My mom, who sometimes listens to this podcast in Pennsylvania, there are um, books that are like Amish romance books. And it's like, they're just, it's a whole genre. And I know there's an Amish community that we've discussed at times in Ohio. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody out there, it consumes the ro- the genre of Amish romance and I have not <laughs> consumed it. Um, but there's a, there's a library in the, uh, the complex where my mom lives now. And the library shelves are filled with books with Amish romance books. And I just think it's, you know, it's like, you know, she shyly, uh, she shyly, uh, took off her bonnet. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Ezekiel could feel, I don't know what the Ezekiel felt, but, um, <laughs> it's Amish romance Ooh. out there in the barns and they're doing things in the barns and walking in the fields and going in the horse carriages. Um, I feel like a line of Buckeye romances would hit in Ohio. If you just were writing about people in their everyday lives who were constantly falling in and out of love as it, and within the genre of loving Ohio State football, right? That like there's a woman at a watch party and a guy walks by and, and he likes Tate Martell and she likes Dwayne Haskins. If I maybe took some time and started writing Ohio State themed Ohio State football themed romance novels. Who would would people buy them? Yeah, I think it's an underserved market. Yeah, yeah, and that it doesn't exist. Yeah, and yet, 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 yet. And I'm not saying that it would be about people falling in love with Tate Martell, but I'm. It would be about people falling in love around Tate Martell, right? Yeah, because yeah. that's what the Buckeyes inspire passions. Uh, and you know what it goes back to? RPO. Really passionate offense. That's that's the, that's title one in the series. RPO, really passionate offense. A Buckeye love story. 
Is it okay? I, so I love Dwayne Haskins and I love Tate Martell, and I can't remember the point I was making, but what was the point I was making? I said I wasn't confident in Ohio State's ability to just run over TCU. But here's the thing with this offense. This is what I was getting to in loving both quarterbacks. Eight men in the box, right? That's yeah. a thing. That's a football phrase a football that makes thing. me sound smart. That's also the title of the second book. <laughs> <laughs> like if it it's funny <laughs> uh, it's also would be a good name for one of your strip clubs yeah it's oh, funny right except it also uh will make me a millionaire <laughs> so it will definitely make me a millionaire um if you bring up a safety to help and run support i feel like it, it was two throws but week one Ryan Day said we didn't throw deep because they had a safety back. Week two, Dwayne Haskins, as soon as he saw there wasn't a safety in the middle of the field, he put deep balls on Johnny Dixon's fingertips yep. both times. So this is just this is just all offenses, but the idea of when you have offense, that is, we can run it. You must support the run. If you don't support the run, we're gonna get seven yard chunks all day and here and there pop bigger ones, and if you do support the run, as soon as you take a safety out of the middle of the field, we have receivers that can beat your corners one-on-one, and we have a quarterback who can put the football on their hands. And then also, we got went crazy with the mesh routes last year. We did 70 posts on the mesh routes. Again, I might have been getting popcorn. I feel like the first two games that hasn't been like the two receivers crossing and giving the high five to each other as they run across the middle of the field and mesh and then sit down right in the middle of the field like that. They're hitting guys on the move some, but yeah. JT was hitting guys sitting in a zone. I feel like that. But if you, and you're not as reliant on that as they were last year, it's still there. But so I, I just feel like they are in a situation where they have almost all the chess pieces. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. And so that's the thing of like, so I think you and I, we're trying to figure out, well, if I'm saying TCU's not going to be able to stop the run and they're just going to run, and you're saying you think they can stop the run, but the minute they stop the run, then you're seeing a big Dwayne Haskins game. Like, I'm get, can you feel the RPO, the really passionate, the really passionate this is RPT, yeah. this is really passionate talk on Buckeye Talk. Like, that's all this is. That's all this whole game is. And I think that's what people are excited about because it's not just Dwayne Haskins because there are teams out there that have great quarterbacks, but they don't always have J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber with them. Yeah, Like all the parts of this, it, it boils down to, again, war in the trenches. But the idea of if, they, if this line can give Dobbins and Weber enough of a hole and if they can give Haskins enough time. They can adjust to whatever a, de- a defense says, we're going to stop. They're going to do the other thing. And I-, I made this point when I was at the Browns game. Like, Tyrod Taylor missed deep balls. We've seen mm-hmm. J- Dwayne Haskins eventually is going to miss a deep pass. Man, he really – it's not about having a big arm. It is about putting it right there and when you have the opportunity. We've we've enjoyed deep passes in the past that missed just because it's it's – made a defense fearful. And it was like, that was a valuable miss just to remind them. Yep. They were two for two. Like, they didn't miss last week. They, they hit. They were perfectly placed, too. They were right on the thing. And it's like, man, <clears throat> how can you not leave deep help and take that away? 
Because if it's one-on-one, Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin are running past you, and it's over. How can you not leave help on that? And then if you leave help, all Malcolm Pridgen and Terry Munford have to do is give him a little tiny little hole, and J.K. Dobbins is going to do one of those things where he squeezes through sideways, gets to those tiny little linebackers, (laughs) there's no safety there to help, and all of a sudden you have a 25-yard run. Like, I don't... Why is that not going to happen all game? No, I think it can happen all game. I, 50 to nothing! I don't know 50 to nothing. But but I think it is. This is... Look, they played Oregon State and Rutgers, so it's possible we show up in Arlington and we're, we're, we're wrong. But I don't think we're going to be wrong. This is a complete offense, which is something Ohio State has not had the last few years. So I don't... Even even though I'm not all, all in on the idea that Ohio State is going to run it down TCU's throat, um, I think they run it effectively enough and... TCU has to pick something. They have to. They have to decide they're going to go all out on something. And Ohio State now has answers for whatever that something is, and that hasn't always been the case. So that's why I, I think Ohio State's going to win, and I think they'll be okay. I just at the moment I don't know what that's going to look like, if that makes sense. But I think they're going to be okay. Bill Landis, how often do you wear a hat? Every day. You're wearing one right now, yeah. right? Do you when you? Sometimes when you are somewhere where they have a large variety of hats, like when it's a thing that you like, and then you're like, I would like to represent on my head this thing that I enjoy, and look at all the options that I have to represent that. Do you get a little like a little tickle in your tummy? I do. Like when and there's just like like a wall, and it's just like option upon option, and there's different shades and the slightly different logos, right? And like, do you want it to have? We have fitted hat. It could be a dad hat. Can be a snapback. What's a dad hat, by the way? Probably what I wear. It's like uh, it's like the flimsier kind of. It has like the band in the back. Oh uh, yeah. You can, like slide to tighten up. Oh yeah. yeah. I have a lot of. You those. have that. You have dad hat. Oh, you're a dad. I yeah. am a dad. So I think you guys know what I'm talking about. The tickle in your tummy when you have a wide array of hat options. So I'm gonna tell you, I'm getting a little tickle, which is also the third <laughs> that's, series. That's the third book. Third book in the series. And I'm looking at ShopOhioState.com, and I'm looking right now, and I'll tell you the reason that I'm looking. I am looking because I went to ShopOhioState.com today. It's the website for the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. And what did I find? I found a big ad that said, buy one, get one half off. Hats. Buy one, get one 50% off. Hats. It's a bargain. And I went to look. We've got the adjustable ranger hat. That's the, the, the bright scarlet with the block O in gray and a white back. And then I like when they have the little design on the back, a little feature for people looking at the back of your head. Yep. There's a little buckeye leaf on the back on the white, so it's not just a plain back, right? They've got a visor. They've got the scarlet and gray mix. They have a lot of really good black Ohio State hats. They have, if you want, Ohio State written out. They have a cool one that's just a Nike hat that is gray, and the front of it is just a buckeye leaf. It doesn't even have the block O or anything. It's just like, this is a Buckeye leaf. Maybe if you don't know what it is, you shouldn't know what it is, but I know what it is. It's a Buckeye leaf. I'm representing Ohio State. White, the big block O, more script stuff, um, a little dad hat, a little fitted, fitted cap action, youth coaches cap, lots of visors for the visor people in the world. I'm just like, go now. There's a really cool Nike swoosh flex hat that's, Red and the Buckeyes is also in red, so it's kind of like a little bit like shimmery. Um, just go. You're getting buy one, get one half off. If you don't want two hats, get a friend, and then you each save money. 
You each get a hat for 75% of the price, right? You're sharing, you're making friends, you're getting hats at shopohiostate.com. It is a great selection. Take advantage of this offer right now. And once you get on the website, then you're lost. Then you're going to start looking through everything. Get your credit card out. You're going to be like, I like that hoodie. I like those gloves. I like everything they have because it's high-quality merchandise from a bunch of different retailers. I'm looking at a Sherpa quarter zip. Again, it's fancy, 65 bucks, but this is like high-quality, classy stuff. But mostly what I'm worried about right now is getting you guys to this bargain price. Buy one, get one half off on these hats at shopohiostate.com. Our friends at the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Go there right now and then tweet us if you buy a hat. Tell us about your hat bargains, and we'll be excited because we can appreciate a good hat, and that's what ShopOhioState.com is ready to give you. All right. This game, Bill Landis, should be one of two. This should be the first game in an Ohio State TCU home-and-home series. That's what it was originally scheduled as. It was going to be Ohio State at TCU in Fort Worth this year, TCU at Ohio State next year. In April of 2017, they changed it to a one-game neutral site competition, and the neutral site is 30 miles from TCU's campus. But we've talked about this. We think it's going to be a 50-50 Ohio State crowd at the worst. Yep. And it's going to be – sometimes you go there and it's hard to tell because, like, the shades of the teams are the same. This is scarlet versus purple, mm -hmm. so we'll be able to tell. Um, I have written, we have talked, you have written, we've talked to Gene Smith about this over the years. There has been this growing trend in neutral site games in college football. Alabama does it all the time. Michigan played Alabama. Wisconsin, no, yeah, Michigan played LSU a couple years ago. Wisconsin played Alabama. Michigan played Florida last year. They do this, they do it in Atlanta, they do it in Dallas. Orlando. They do it in Orlando. Houston. Houston. It's a very popular thing. Um, but now, actually, it's starting to trend back a little bit the other way because Alabama is starting to sign up some home-and-home -home series. Yep. And I've written Ohio State and Alabama should get on that. Alabama's doing a home-and-home -home with Notre Dame. If they're coming north of the Mason-Dixon line, Ohio State should get in line. But Ohio State is now in on this. And Gary Patterson, the TCU head coach, revealed this week that he – um, was one of the driving forces of this. He wanted this to become a neutral site game. Um, this is a tweet from Zach Barnett on August 31st. He was on a radio station in Dallas, and Gary Patterson said he was the reason that TCU's home-and-home home with Ohio State was changed to a one-off at Jerry World. He said a home-and-home home with the Buckeyes wasn't a good business plan. And Zach Barnett at Zach underscore Barnett, he's a college football writer, said business in this case is reaching the college football playoff, not making money. So the idea that, that Gary Patterson was not confident of coming to Columbus and getting a win and I guess was not interested in maybe losing to Ohio State twice in two consecutive years, and then all of a sudden you're in a position where basically you've got to go undefeated in the Big 12 maybe if you want to make the playoff. Because we have not yet seen a two-loss team make the playoff. We'll see it someday. Yep. But the other thing is, Baker Mayfield came here and won. That's the thing, yeah. And got him in the playoff. And I would also I would tell other teams, Ohio State, I've always contended this, is not the home field advantage that you think it is. It does get loud. Of course it does. It's 105,000 people. 
but it is not overwhelming. It is not the stadium doesn't shake. Like, if it's a night game and Ohio State's winning, like, okay, of course. But, like, when Virginia Tech came here and won, like, you can take the crowd out of it at Ohio Stadium if you get ahead. And the bottom line with Ohio State is they don't lose. But they are, you absolutely can beat them at home absolutely as much as, as, as on the road. I'm saying, Virginia Tech won here, Oklahoma won here, Ohio State is just as likely to lose in Ohio Stadium as they are to lose anywhere else, is my main point. So, like, the idea of, like, well, we didn't want to do this, I don't know. I don't think Gary Patterson should have been afraid to come here. But, I would agree. if he didn't want to lose in back-to-back years, then I get it, I guess. They're trying to make the playoff if they think they're good. But, do you like this? There's been a lot of discussion. Gene Smith did not want to go down this road as a matter of business. They have not gone down this road. They have home and home scheduled. Um, they filled the whole next year's schedule is crappy non-conference. It's as bad as you're ever going to see from a non-conference perspective, but it's because I think the Big Ten schedule is pretty tough, and especially the home Big Ten schedule in 2019 is very good for Ohio State. Yeah. But they replaced this TCU game with Miami of Ohio. So their three non-conferences next year are Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, and Miami of Ohio. So that, compared to what they've traditionally done, which is every year, it's either Texas or USC or Oklahoma or TCU or Miami, Florida or Washington or Oregon's coming or all these type of teams, Notre Dame, those are the non-conference games. The fact that you have a non-conference schedule that's Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Miami of Ohio is bad. But what are, are you looking? What are the home games in 2019? I actually was looking up how much Ohio State is getting paid. Oh, are they getting five million each or something for this? Yeah, which is like significantly more than you get for playing a home and home. So it's one of those things. You make money on your home game, but then like you don't make any money. Basically, it's like you make money on the home game, and then the other guy gets to make money on their home game the next year. So I think you might make about that much. But but you only make like it's like if you if you make five million dollars once and the other time you don't really make much, so you make zero and five million. So you make two and a half million per year. This is a one time thing. Both teams make five million. Yeah. You asked what the home schedule was. Next What's year? the home Ohio State schedule in two thousand nineteen? Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Miami, Ohio, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Penn State. So the fact that they have Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State all at home made them feel like they're treating Wisconsin almost, as the non-conference game. Yep. Like, we're getting Wisconsin-Ohio Stadium. You're getting your value for your season ticket, so we're not bringing TCU in here. Or we're, you know what I mean? That's, like, yeah. that's how they view it. Um, do you like this? The idea that we, you and I are flying on Friday, we're, we're going to Arlington, Texas, instead of TCU's home stadium, which I think seats like 50,000. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to, to AT&T Stadium and the giant monstrosity. Beautiful monstrosity also book four in the series a beautiful monstrosity (laughs) do you like this no i don't and maybe it's partly selfish i suppose like i would have liked to see tcu stadium i think it would have been cool but i just think it's a better environment to play on the road and in true road games like even ohio state smoked virginia tech in 2015 but it was cool to be at virginia tech as opposed to playing that game in like i don't know like landover maryland or something like that at the at the Redskins Stadium, um, I wish it was still a home and home. I get, I guess I I disagree with Gary Patterson, but I, I understand the logic. And if it's going to give you five million dollars, which is essentially just like Ohio State's making five million dollars off this game, and that money's just like going to Oregon State and Tulane, right? Most, the most, a large chunk of it. 
Um, so they're not making a ton of money off of it anyway. It's not like Ohio State needs the $5 million to begin with. Um, I just prefer home at home. I think it's better. I think it's better for college football. I think it's better for fans. I think it makes for a more interesting environment. And I think, actually, it makes the game matter more for the, in terms of the college football playoff. I think if TCU were to beat Ohio State in Ohio Stadium – they would get more credit for doing that than they would beating them at AT&T Stadium and the other way around for Ohio State. Yeah. Um, so maybe the logic there is actually a little flawed now that I think about it. So I don't know. I was kind of bummed when I saw it got moved. And maybe I'd be more excited if Ohio State hasn't already played at AT&T Stadium twice in the last four years. Um, but I just like seeing new places. And I think it's I think it's fun for Ohio State fans to see new places. And that's why I want the Ohio State-Alabama series so bad is I want Alabama fans – on Ohio State's campus. I want Ohio State fans on Alabama's campus. I want Ohio State fans like taking pictures with the Nick Saban statue. Yeah. And I want Alabama fans taking pictures with the Woody Hayes statue. You know, I want people I want them experiencing the experience mm-hmm. of a game. So we are flying to Texas and I know a lot of not a lot of you, some of you are. Some of you listening to this are going to that game, and it's a crazy, awesome stadium. You're flying to Texas to go to a parking lot. Yeah, like it's weird. Like college game day is there, but college game day is going to TCU's campus. They're going to be in Fort Worth, <coughs> and the game's going to be thirty miles away. Are they really? Yeah, it's weird. Do they know? Do they know that the game's not in Fort Worth? Actually, we should. Check. Can you call Herbie? I'll come. Yeah, um, I texted him one time. He never got back to me. What's up, Herbie? Yeah. See that that is no, we're gonna have a fart later where someone's mad about not responding to a, an email and yeah. now we're mad that Herbie didn't yeah. text you back. <laughs> um so I that I mean that is that is college football. Let's we've lost here's comes an old guy rant. We've lost a lot of college football, right? When West Virginia's in the same conference as Kansas State, we've lost something. When Nebraska's in the same conference as Rutgers, we've lost something. When Nebraska and Colorado are playing each other, and instead of it being a traditional conference rivalry, it's Big Ten versus Pac-12, <laughs> we've lost something. When um, Ohio State doesn't play Iowa for like five years because they're in opposite divisions and they have to fit, we've lost something. You're losing stuff. You know, you're losing stuff. So I know there was a time, you know, back in the 90s, they were doing the kickoff classic and all that stuff, and people were going into a parking lot in New Jersey to start a state a season, and, and that was kind of cool back then. I don't know. It was different. But, like, a game, a game in Alabama, a game in Alabama's campus is awesome. A game at LSU's campus is awesome. A game at Ohio State is awesome. A game at Michigan is awesome. I, I think we need to be in a world where – we're exper- we're sharing that where Georgia and Michigan are playing at Georgia and at Michigan, where Ohio State and LSU are playing at Ohio State and LSU. I don't want to see Wisconsin play Alabama in a parking lot. I want to see Nick Saban in a stadium for jump around. You know, I don't yeah. want to see Ohio State and Texas in a parking lot at Jerry World. I want to see Ohio State and Texas the way we saw it in 05 and 06, and they're on the schedule again, and they're doing it. But it's just better. I want you to experience – Here, could you guys know your cool thing? You guys know what it's like to be in Columbus on a Saturday. And you want to share that with the rest of college football even if you hate them. You want to say, hello, fan of another team that I hate. Come enjoy our Saturday and then let's yell at each other. And then I'll go to your place and you can yell at me in your place. So we've lost so much. I hope we don't. Lose too much here. And again, I think it's coming back. Feels like it. And 
I think that's good. Um, but I just, I just think this is a step short. Now, the one thing that I think is interesting in talking about this, and there's probably a story out there that we'll maybe we'll get to at some point, is there was a big deal made in Oregon after Oregon State got, I think, 1.7 million to come here and get its bootstraps knocked off. Mm-hmm. Book five in the series, my bootstraps were knocked off. <laughs> Oregon State said, like, we don't want to do that anymore. Right. So the whole thing is, I feel like we are trending toward TCU said, we don't want to do that. So Oregon State is saying we're not taking Ohio State's money anymore to go to Ohio State and get whooped. TCU is saying we are not interested in a home and home with Ohio State to risk the chance of losing to them two straight years. Okay. So we are in a world where like Jim Delaney doesn't want the Big Ten playing. FCS schools. Yep. And now we're in a world where Oregon State, which is a power, a crappy power five team, is saying, we don't want your money because we don't want to come do it. TCU, which is an, a national power, is saying, we don't want to do a home and home with you. What are we going to be left with? So you can't do FCS. Oregon State won't do it. TCU won't do it. So is Ohio now you're going to be left with I guess they 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 have these these big time home and home schedule with Notre Dame and Texas and Oregon they'll still do it but we've talked a lot about them trying to get like that second tier like a second power 5 team to only come here if those teams won't do it and you can't do, you're going to be or it's going to be a, a schedule full of Troys again but at some point Unless, when Troy and, and East Carolina and all those teams are trying to make a bowl they're not going to want your want they're going to be like Oregon State if they're trying to make – if they're in major college football, they're not power five, but they're in major college football, they're trying to make a bowl, maybe they don't want your $1.5 million for a guaranteed non-conference loss. So I'm wondering if we're trending toward an untenable situation where nobody – where Ohio State's going to have a hard time filling out a three-game non-conference schedule. Or am I exaggerating? Just knock my computer over. No, I think, I think you could be right. The thing I think that could change that – and it would require a change in a part of the programs like Ohio State, I think, is like, are you willing to play Central Florida? Are you willing to play Houston and Memphis and Boise State? Because, But would those teams, are the, would Boise State or Central Florida or Houston, would they come to Ohio Stadium for one game or do they want a home and home? I, th- I think you could get them to come to Ohio Stadium for one game because they're going to try to beat you and make the playoff. It's the only way those teams can get into the playoff is by running their conference, which they're going to do anyway, and then beating a team like Ohio State or Alabama or Houston beating Oklahoma a couple of years ago. It's the only path there. Houston, Oklahoma, I think, was a home and home. Oh, that, and the Houston, they moved it. It was played. They played it at the NRG Stadium in Houston, where the but, but they played play. twice. Houston and Oklahoma, didn't they? The year that Houston beat Oklahoma, that game was at the NFL Stadium in Houston. But then did, did did Houston then also go to Oklahoma? Was it a home-and-home home that they moved Houston's home game to the Texans' stadium, but then they also played in Oklahoma, or was it just a one-off? Let's see. So, I mean, I think that's interesting because one-off. I get – It was a one-off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, Oklahoma's probably yeah. – I mean, like, so Ohio State, UCF, and a one-off in Orlando, right? And, in in a, like, Orlando hosts uh, – like, this kind of thing with TCU. Right, they're playing TCU in a one-off near TCU's campus, but it's not a home game for TCU. You play UCF in a, in a one-off in Orlando. There's a big population center of Ohio State fans in Florida. You serve that. They like to serve alumni bases. Or I think they'd come. I think UCF would come here. 
I don't think those teams are afraid to play the bigger teams. I think it's the other way around. Because UCF wants to make the playoff. UCF last year claimed the national championship. If they actually had done the exact same thing but also beaten Ohio State in the non-conference, they would have been in the playoff. Yeah, those teams have nothing to lose scheduling those games. Okay, so would a, if you were in charge of scheduling for Ohio State, would you schedule that? No. Okay. So if you're making – be, be, it's, it's, it's a lot to risk. So the people that you want to bribe to come lose to you are less getting less interested in those bribes, even though the bribes are getting more lucrative. Mm-hmm. Oregon State got a lot of cash, but they're less interested. So they don't get the teams that will take your bribes are MAC teams and whatever else, the people who need money that just are going to be awful games. Yeah. The decent, the the lower level big school teams that won't take your bribes anymore, and then like the 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 good non power five teams who want your want to come, you don't want to invite because they might beat you. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I don't know. I I I think scheduling is interesting. I wish scheduling didn't happen ten years out. You know, they have a lot of this stuff booked, but I'm just telling you, like. I think Ohio State has done a good job scheduling. I think sometimes people like in, – in the past, in the last 10 years, you've heard people say like Ohio State is a terrible schedule. They schedule cream puffs, and that was never true. Ohio State always had a national power on their schedule, and when people complained about Ohio State's schedule, they were actually complaining that Big Ten stunk. So they've always had this game, and they're con- going to continue to have this game. The, the game in 20 and 21, is that Oregon? Yep, it's at Oregon in 20 and then here in 2021. So that will be cool. Right, so it's it's a one off in nineteen that they don't have that big game, but it's gonna stink. Like, on, if if Lane Kiffin's still at Florida Atlantic, which is when they scheduled this, when they moved this stuff around, it was like, oh, they're gonna start with Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle. Yeah, and it was like, well, they won't both be there. I don't know. They might both they be. Might both be they there. might both be there. So if you start with that, that'll be interesting. But it's not the same as as what they've been doing, and I think it'll be missed. Even though yeah. Wisconsin's coming to Ohio State, I think it'll be missed, and. <clears throat> As much as uh, as much as this has been a recent trend with the uh, games in a parking lot, I'm I'm glad it's not um, something Ohio State has bought into all the way. I think Alabama. I, I don't know if Nick Saban cares, and I think I think Nick Saban. It's like one of those. Well, things. you think he's not going to be there, right? Well, he's agreeing. I, yeah, my, I have my retirement date set for Nick Saban because it's right when these home and home series start. Because he would never agree to it if he had to play them. So Dabo Sweeney's going to be playing. Notre Dame in South Bend coaching Alabama and like going into South Bend and losing and Nick Saban's going to be sitting at his lake house with his feet up going like, ha ha, Dabo, take that. You're not going <laughs> to replace me. Um, so, I, but I think Nick Saban in the pursuit of national titles, which is how dare you pursue national titles with his genius, diabolical, non-conference scheduling that, that makes people think Alabama's even better than they actually are. And they are awesome. Um, he's denied Alabama fans something. He's denied Alabama fans the things that Ohio State fans have experienced for a decade, which is USC coming here, which is Miami, Florida coming here, which is Virginia Tech coming here, which is Baker Mayfield. As much as you didn't like it, would you have wanted Baker Mayfield to plant a flag in a stadium in a parking lot? He wouldn't have planted the flag. Yeah. You hate him, but it was cool. Nobody can plant a flag in Alabama Stadium because no decent team in a non from a non a, a non conference team is allowed in Alabama Stadium. They played Penn State a few years ago, but Penn State was awful and they demolished them. And that was the last one. Yeah. Like Penn State was awful. He caught them right in the middle of the the, the trough. Yep. 
And even that was too much. He was like, I'm out. They canceled a Michigan State thing. They, yep. they had Michigan State on the schedule, and they backed out of that because Nick Saban didn't want to give Mark D'Antonio a chance to beat him in East Lansing. Much less come to Columbus. He wouldn't go to East Lansing. I didn't mean to make this about Saban. Saban rattles my cage, man. Also, book six of the series, Saban rattles my cage. And an Ohio State State love story. Um, Yeah, that's one's about an Ohio State fan and an Alabama fan. Ohio State and Alabama are playing for the national championship. And an Ohio State fan and an Alabama fan fall in love Mm. in the build-up to the national championship. And for the month, like the month of December, you build up. The love story and the game story. And then we got to figure out what happens. You got to figure out what happens. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be heavy on the sex, right? That's not really what yeah. the Ohio State passion series is about. It's not graphic. It's about passion, right? It's about the thing that is stirred inside you by football and by human love, right? And so, I don't need I don't need to to like go down that road. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be Fifty Shades. No, yeah. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Scarlet, yeah. book seven. Uh, but it's but it's there. Okay, I'm... the differences in the quarterbacks. We've talked about this, and we'll get to your questions after this. Sean Robinson, this dual threat guy. Yep. Is Ohio State prepared to stop that because they dealt with JT Barrett in practice for? Well, somebody years. somebody tweeted that at me uh, today. We we're recording this on Tuesday. I I had a thing. We had a we shot a video, and I like wrote a little bit about it. But my tweet was, Sean Robinson is the best dual threat quarterback Ohio State has seen since. Like with a question mark on the end, and someone responded like Tate Martell today in practice, <coughs> which is like, oh yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. as much as Ohio State fans are like sick of that, like JT Barrett did it as well as anybody. Yeah, so maybe maybe my concern about that is a little overblown, I suppose. Um, but it's different. It's different, like when you can't hit the guy in practice, yeah. and then you can act like he can actually like try to avoid you in a game. I mean, but it, it is. It's like Ohio State fans. I, I do a lot of Ohio State fans. Do you think it's fair to say they were just tired of that style of offense after the JT Barrett era? Oh like, yeah, okay, for sure. And it's like now it's like they're tired of that. And now we're asking if they should be worried about Sean Robinson. And you know who Sean Robinson isn't? He's not JT Barrett. He is not. He is a poor man's JT Barrett. He is a pale imitation of the guy that you wanted out of here. So Yeah, like a different faster for sure. Probably has a stronger arm, but a less accurate arm, and is just he's not as good of a I don't think he's as good a passer as JT. Which like people might be hearing that and like, oh I think owned by seventy, but um he throws it deep, and if like he's accurate, it can be dangerous. But he's just very inconsistent throwing the ball. Okay. Sean Robinson. But the idea of um, no Ohio State, I, I am curious about this. I feel like, and this is a rough transition, but I, I've been very intrigued by Greg Schiano's handling of Chase Young's two penalties on Saturday. Um, he has made he made the point Saturday, and he made the point again Monday. Of like, he's not mad. 
He's not. No, no. He loves Chase Young. He wants Chase Young to be Chase Young. Again, I don't think Chase Young – I think Chase Young got an original 15-yard penalty because he was excited after a sack and what he thought was a fumble recovery, and he threw the ball away in excitement. And then I still haven't looked at it, but he ran on the field after Sean Wade made an interception because he was, like, super excited for his teammate. Yeah. And you can't do it, but it's not – neither – a penalty was from a place of showboating or a place of uncontrolled anger. It was from a place of like uncontrolled passion, which is book eight, and excitement, right? Yeah. Like and 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 camaraderie and brotherhood. Like we got the ball here. I'm excited and like Sean Wade, Sean Wade, woo! Yeah. And like you can't do that. So I like and it's just like I can't. It to me it's stark contrast to Hugh Jackson, which is like I think if Hugh Jackson, if a guy got a penalty, Hugh Jackson would be like, we can't do that. Can't do that. Can't have those penalties. That kind Can't of penalty, do it. Yeah. And it's like, Hugh, come like there's there's a way to like just portray portray things that like not every bad thing is the end of the world and like not every, like you know what? Stuff happens sometimes. Yeah. And there's a way to, to like turn a negative into a positive, which I think he is incapable of doing. But I feel like Greg Shiano's gone out of his way to do that with this circumstance. And here's my point that I'm leading to on Chase Young. They want Chase Young to be excited and fired up and passionate and aggressive, right? I'm not worried about Nick Bosa defending zone read. They're going to read the end and try to do some of this stuff. Yep. I'm a little worried about Chase Young. Yeah, I think he's he's young and he's aggressive, book 10. Um, <laughs> I'd be a little worried about that too. How many times will Chase Young on Saturday destroy – Tackle and destroy a person who, who does not have, have the ball. ball. Yeah, like five times probably. Yeah. Like that was an unbelievable hit as the quarterback runs around and for yeah. a 21 yard. Unless game. he just does what Sam Hubbard did against Penn State and tackle them both, which yeah. is also out there. Definitely on the table. <laughs> but um, I do think we talked about we talked about the little Ohio State linebackers, right? Yeah. But in terms of this, and there's two things I want to get to with these linebackers as we transition here again. Pete Werner, Malik Harrison on the edge, tough Borland on runs up the middle. What what is your faith in them? First, dealing with second level, they're the second level on a run, whether it's a running back up the middle on a or, or a quarterback keep. What is your faith in them to read, fill, tackle, and not let not let TCU pop some twenty yard runs? Uh, like when Tuff Borland's in there, I would feel pretty good about it. He seems to be in the right spot more often than not. And Greg Shiano was talking about that this week, how, how Tuff's positioning is always really good. That's what makes him a good middle linebacker. Baron Browning's, I think, has been a bit inconsistent through the first two games, so I would be worried about him like overcommitting to the wrong thing. I think we saw that in one of the long runs against Oregon State. And I think it's just – I think it's similar to our concerns with Chase Young. I think it's just a young guy who's trying maybe a little too hard sometimes to make plays. Um but the thing with Browning is, like, I also really like the idea of him being able to chase down Sean Robinson and, and yes. cover a lot of ground, which I don't really think Tough Borland can do. Uh, so it's an interesting spot for Ohio State to be in. Uh, I, I think somebody asked us a question, actually, or maybe it was in – somebody sent me a question, like, in a mailbag that I ended up not using. But I think it was, it was like, which three linebackers do you like in this game? And oh, I think, good question. And I think it's a tough one to answer. But but, but um, my answer, I think, is, is Browning, Harrison, and Werner because I would – 
shade a little more toward the speedier, speedier athletic guys who can cover a lot of ground, even if that means you get caught in some mistakes every now and then, because I just think you might need those kind of athletes against Robinson and then like Cavante Turpin and like just the athletes that TCU has. I think it's it's still a question a little bit of, of how close to 100% Borland is. Because mm-hmm. um, what you, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of times the, the ones that kill you a lot of times in that stuff is where, whether it's on a give or a keep, where the guy just goes right up the middle. And yep. <clears throat> I do think we both believe that like tough Borland is the guy that just is, is with his experience is most the guy who's most likely to have guys in the right position and make sure that the, the defensive call is correct yeah. and that they're yeah. breaking that down the right way. So I also think they need to be on alert. They need to see how the game is going. They need to be able to say, Boy, this seems like more of a Borland game. We've got to keep him in there. Boy, we really need Browning on the field. Boy, maybe we put Browning on the outside for a couple of these. Boy, they're really, you know, I think they have to be on alert because I don't know if you know exactly how it's going to go. And I will say our friend Dan Hope, who does a great job, really works his butt off for 11 Warriors, does a snap count each week that we just um, are not in a position to do that post at the moment. But it is a service to Ohio State fans and to other Ohio State media. So yep. thank you, Dan Hope. He did a snap count from last week's game. Linebacker snaps. Pete Werner, and again, this is a blowout. Pete Werner, 48, played a ton. Played basically every snap that mattered. Yep. And then a few that didn't. Malik Harrison, 43. So they're trying. Those are the, those are the, those those are the guys. guys. Yep. Tough Borland, 21. Baron Browning, 17. Huh. So tough. I should watch the games more. Tough Borland again. The popcorn is too <laughs> alluring. Book eleven. Um, tough Borland. He played about ten snaps the week before. He played twenty-one last week. I don't know. Does that mean he's working up to thirty or forty? Maybe. You wrote the story on him. He's a karate guy. His yes. name is Jared. Um, book twelve. <laughs> the the idea, like, it does feel like part of this in the gigantic game plan of life when they were trying to get, when this happened to tough Borland and it's like, here we go. Like this has worked out to, we want to build him up for TCU and he's been built up and yeah. maybe he's ready. Unless like uh tough Borland's your pro style linebacker and Baron Browning's your spread linebacker. And, and maybe, and, and maybe yes, but but I think maybe also like in the in the in the name of like things that we underestimate, I think possibly like Tough Borland's ability as he gets older and more experienced to like really be good against a team like this. I think maybe we underestimate that again. I'm interested to see it. Yeah, I, I I am definitely underestimating it, and I'm happy to be proven wrong. But yeah. that's where I'm at right now. And and not to only make this comparison, I think I've made the comparisons to like Raekwon McMillan and James Laurinaitis, which is middle linebackers who make plays, but also just like hold things down, right? Like really good athletes who just like also take care of things, which sometimes it's hard to be both, you know, that like Raekwon, like, is everything okay? Like Raekwon, like makes sure everything's okay and blows people up. And I know the thing that I always, 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 always wrote about with James Laurinaitis is, you know, he ended up being a second round pick in the NFL and I thought he should have been a first round pick and he had a great 10 year career and he just went in the Ohio State Hall of Fame. You know, James Laurinaitis to me was maybe never going to have the best 40 time. He was a very good athlete. But to me, it's like a guy like James Laurinaitis. It's not about the 40 time because he starts before everybody else. So it's not about when you start the watch. 
if he's getting off the line on a 40 before everybody else because he instinctually knows what's happening, that's what he did on the football field. So, yeah, in a straight line, you're faster than him. But he's starting before you because he is diagnosing the play pre-snap, during the snap, and immediately after the snap and saying, I know exactly what's happening. And I know exactly where I need to be, and I'm going to get myself to the ball really quickly. And he got there. And I don't want to just, like, compare white linebackers, but there are guys. Raekwon was not – Raekwon was, like, a huge five-star thing. I think in the end, like, Raekwon's, like, a good athlete. I don't think Raekwon was Ryan Shazier or Baron Browning or Darren Lee. Yeah. You know, like a just absolute super, super, super fast, super freaky. Like, Raekwon McMillan was, like, a really good football player, and he's – starting in the NFL right now because of that. But Raekwon, that's part of that too. It's, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if instinct is like a, is like a, a a physical talent or a mental talent It's partly both, but like instinct is a talent. And it's just like, I don't exactly know part of its film study. And sometimes you could underrate it. Like, wow, that guy has great instincts. And it's like, yeah, I have great instincts. You know, I think you like, would talk to Von Bell about this. It's like, what was your great instinct there? My great instinct was I watched 11 hours of film, yeah. and I knew that when the quarterback out of that formation took his drop this way and looked this direction, I knew exactly what he was going to do. So it's not instinct. It's studying. Right. But Raekwon was like that. Laurinaitis was like that. If Tuff Borland's like that, maybe he doesn't have to win 40-yard dash contests, and I think maybe he's a better athlete than we give him credit for, and I think – also, you know, coming back from an Achilles, he's not 100%. He's not, speed is going to be the last thing, cutting, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But if he knows what's going to happen and he gets himself there, they're going to need that. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's a spread team or a pro-style team, I just wonder if there comes a point where it's like we've just – he's on the field. Then like he's going to get there more often than you think. And then at the very least, like he's going to make sure Pete Warner and Malik Harrison get there. Because he's going to have this defense ready to diagnose what is happening. So I'm very curious. I think your Tough Borland story was a tremendous read and an important read for people because I'm just very curious to watch. As much as I love Baron Browning and he needs to play. He absolutely needs to play. I'm very curious over the course of this season and in the biggest games to watch how much Ohio State feels like and then acts on the idea that Tough Borland needs to be on the field for this to work. And yeah. maybe I'm overestimating that, or maybe maybe there's he's got to be there. That's it. He's got to be there. I mean, we saw a play out last year, and granted, it, by the time he was in starting, they didn't really play an offense that's going to look like the one they see on Saturday. Um, but we talked about it earlier in the year. Maybe we weren't talking about it when we were recording the podcast. But there was like things fell into place once Tough Borland was a starting middle linebacker, and I certainly think that's out there again. We'll get to your questions here in a second. Um, I, I wanted to look something up because did, were you surprised at all, Bill, that Urban Meyer's return in week four, this is the last game that Urban Meyer is not going to be on the sideline for Ohio State. His return in week four is against Tulane. It's a 3.30 start on the Big Ten Network. Um, I was a little surprised that it's on the Big Ten Network. I thought maybe this would be like a thing – that, you know, the whole world wants to see Urban Meyer back on the sideline, even if it's a crappy game. Or is it, okay, well, it's like, I think, you know, Michigan... Aren't those things decided beforehand? I don't know. I think is they it? are. Michigan and Nebraska play 
that week. Uh, I think Wisconsin and Iowa play. There's a couple good Big Ten games. But it's just, it's a little, I don't know, it's a little something to me that, like, it's not a national audience necessarily that's going to get to see Urban Meyer. Yeah, it is It is strange, but I think it was just that, oh, Ohio State's playing Tulane, let's throw that on BTN. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the thing is, is that if, if it's one of those things where if you want to get to games like that, right, if you want to get to games like that, Minuteman tickets can help you get to games like that, right? Um, Minuteman tickets is a place that that is has like a national selection of tickets for sports, for theater, for concerts, but they're locally based in Columbus. Um, I think there's a lot of things online that sometimes you feel like you can't trust stuff. Ooh, What's that? $67. For what? Ohio State Tulane tickets on MinutemanTickets.com. Really? $67? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, wouldn't you want to be there? Like, if you don't have a ticket right now, <clears throat> I would maybe buy it now because I think Ohio State is going to beat TCU, and I think they might move up in the rankings, and I think there's going to be even more buzz behind them, and then Urban Meyer is going to be back on the sideline, and that might just be a game that you want to be on. You want to be in the stands for that. Quite a few options right now for less than $100. For less than $100, how do you get those tickets, Bill? MinutemanTickets.com. MinutemanTickets.com. And if you buy them... They're there for you. <clears throat> Sorry about my cough. They stand behind the tickets. They're there if you need things. They're, there are people in Columbus with Minuteman tickets. They can problem solve for you. Not that you're going to have a problem, but it's peace of mind. With Minuteman tickets, there's opportunity because they have tickets you want. And there's peace of mind because once you buy them, you can feel good about the idea that you're going to get your tickets for a fair price and they're going to get you into the game that you want to go to. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. All these things. When you buy a ticket to anything, if, it, if the, the ticket seller screws it up, you can't go back and say, well, I'll just go to the Ohio State Tulane game on Sunday. It's a one-time shot. So, yeah, you want a good price. But what, what good is a good price if, if, if you don't have faith in the ticket? So Minuteman tickets can get you into a game like Ohio State Tulane. And don't you want to be at a game like that? And you can buy it from them and feel good about buying it. They invest in the community. They're Ohio-based. And they are there for you when you purchase from them. So think about it. I think maybe you want to get in on this now. Um, sometimes it's hard to get a ticket to Ohio Stadium, right? Yep. And, and this, you know, Tulane's not great. But this is, a, this is like a thing. Urban Meyer's first game back. No matter sort of where you stand on whatever went down, this is Urban Meyer's first game back. And that will be a thing that maybe you want to talk about in 20 years. Maybe you want to say, yeah, I was there for his first game back. Really? What was it like? What was the ovation like? Did you look through the binoculars and watch him on the sideline? They're going to show Urban on TV a lot, but when you're in the stadium with your binoculars... You can get a better read on the situation. That's what we do when, when we're there. We look for things that aren't on TV. Not everything's on TV. So you want to see how Urban Meyer's acting in his first game back, how he's interacting with his players. So get to that game by going to MinutemanTickets.com. Get yourself there for Ohio State Tulane. Check out the tickets available for the rest of the season. Make Minuteman Tickets your ticket guys, just like they're our ticket guys. A lot of tickets for this week's game. Good prices too. You would. You're the kind of guy. I'd buy a plane ticket. I would drive. You would drive. Yeah. You would. You've driven to Texas twice. 
How long is it from Columbus? 15 hours. Stop in Memphis, eat some good food, and then you're in Dallas like in six hours from Memphis. And Minuteman Tickets has tickets to get you in the, in the stadium. For Yeah, there's actually more tickets for less than $100 to that game than there are to the Tulane game. Really? Yep. So you're the kind of person who, if you were hearing this right now, you'd be like, let's see if I can get off work Friday and get a couple friends. We'll hop in the car Friday morning, drive to Memphis, have a night in Memphis, mm-hmm. hang out, wake up Saturday morning, drive the six hours, get to the stadium, tailgate, watch the game, and then drive enough back on Saturday night, right? Drive two hours back. Yep. So that then on Sunday you can drive the rest of the way and have a weekend that you'll never forget. Yep. If you're doing that. That sounds great. Can I do that? You can cover the game. Yeah. So listen, somebody out there do that, okay? If you do that, (laughs) if you buy your tickets from Minuteman Tickets and then spontaneously decide that you're driving to Texas for this weekend, tweet at us. And we will make a big deal about that. And maybe we'll have you on next week's podcast. Maybe I'll come with you. To talk about the experience. And Landis will write a story about your journey. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. Let's leave tomorrow. Can you leave tomorrow? Do you have too much work to do? You know I'd love to drive (laughs) to Texas. All right. Drive to Texas with Minuteman tickets. One thing I want to talk about is uh, this is actually a special name of a thing because why you can't have a game. You can't have a college football game in a parking lot without naming it something. So this is the Advocare Shake Bowl or something. Is Ooh, that's Advo- be a good transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Isn't it? Th- it's an Advocare. Thing. Advocare. It's yeah. the Advocare Classic. Advocare Texas something. Yeah. So I would like to talk about one-time Advocare salesman Braxton Miller. <laughs> it's Advocare Showdown. The Advocare Showdown. Yeah. Okay. Lots of people sell Advocare. Lots of people sell stuff like that. It's going to yeah. be a very profitable Sometimes business. It's people a like it. Violation. So Braxton Miller sold Advocare, and then Braxton Miller got released by the Houston Texans in the final cutdowns of the NFL season. Um, what did you think of that, Bill Landis? That Braxton Miller, who is as breathtaking an athlete as I have seen at Ohio State in my 13 years, I think if I if I had to put, I, I think if you made a list of five guys since 2005, which is when I started covering Ohio State. The five guys that when they had the ball in their hands, you held your breath. Um, I think my list is two, actually. And it's Ted Ginn Jr. and Braxton Miller. Yeah. And that is, I mean, and this is, this is a place that is. It's not it's Tate Martell. It's, okay, your list is three. <laughs> I mean, it's a place where there's monster talent. My here list is four because Cam Johnson's on it, too. <laughs> He's really good. He's also on the Eagles. So. He was breathtaking with the ball in his hands. Every Ohio State fan agrees on that. Why, why do you think he got released by the Texans? Not that we have inside information about the Texans. Yeah, I mean, I know the Texans have good receivers, and I think like Braxton is not is not a natural receiver. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that's a slight. I think that's true. He's a quarterback trying to make money playing receiver in the NFL. Sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. I don't think this means it's the end for him, but they have they have a pretty deep receiver core. With Will Fuller and Jalen Strong and DeAndre Hopkins and, and Houston, and maybe it just got tough for Braxton to get on the field. He was hurt his rookie year. So, I don't know. I think it could be good for him to get somewhere else. I don't know if he'll ever play for the Eagles either, but if he can go in the practice squad and do some stuff and then the word gets out that Braxton Miller can be serviceable somewhere, I think his career can be prolonged. Um, but I'm not I'm not totally surprised to not see this work out just because I think there's a low percentage chance of it working out for most people. Now, Braxton's a really special athlete, like you said. And I still think maybe there's something out there for him to be like a returner somewhere, punt returner. Um, 
if he'd be willing to do that. So, I don't know. I wasn't surprised to see it. I don't think it's the end for him. I think he can catch on somewhere else. It's hard. Um, I, I'm not really that surprised. I, I thought he was overdrafted. And, yeah. and I just it's, – it's sometimes sometimes it's just the, – the thing that stands out to me, and this is – they're kind of far apart, but Michael Thomas was the number 47 overall pick in the 2016 draft, and Braxton Miller was the number 85 overall pick. So that's 38 spots apart, but it's not 200 spots apart. And, like, the idea to me of, like, what are the chances of, of Michael Thomas – doing something in the NFL and what are the chances of Braxton Miller doing something in the NFL? Like what has transpired with Michael Thomas and Braxton Miller is about what I thought would transpire with both of them. Yep. And so the idea that like, it's like, well, Michael Thomas, I don't know. He didn't have all that many catches as a senior. And I don't know. His con- and it's like, do you not understand like what an NFL receiver looks like? Do you not understand the components of drive and route running precision and hands and toughness an absolute desire to dominate and yes, speed and strength and all that stuff. But like, that's not the top of the list. Did you not understand what Michael Thomas brought to the table? Like anybody at Ohio state saw that. And then again, along those same lines, it's like, do you not understand what it takes to be an NFL receiver? And I know Braxton Miller is like super fast and has a spin move, but there's just too many questions. He, he, he made a transition so late, you know, it's just the, the precision and the, the route running and the ability to get open and feel a defense and, and just, uh, you know, it's just, it, it stuns me sometimes the NFL, the way they do things. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how it works out with Braxton Miller. He has signed with the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad. It, it's still to me, I just wish, I think he could have made it as a quarterback. Now I thought Cardale Jones had a chance to make it as a quarterback. Um, and it's just because they have, they have super physical gifts, and I, I believed in their ability to like do what was needed to do in terms of the specifics of the position to be able to break down a defense and, and read a defense and do what you need to do. And Cardale's arm and Braxton's athletic ability. But like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson, but there are definitely people – there was a lot of backlash when Lamar Jackson came out, the people who were like, he's got to move to receiver. And it's like, why does he have to move to receiver? This guy can make the throws. This guy could do it. And I think Lamar Jackson is a better thrower than Braxton. Yeah. But I think Braxton could have come along in a way. I think Braxton could have improved enough. And I know it was the injury. I wish he could have taken a shot at quarterback in the NFL because his athleticism at quarterback would have been so mind-boggling. And his athleticism at receiver – is still good, but there's a lot of great athletes at receiver. And I just wish that his health would have allowed him to maybe take a shot. And I think people would have questioned whether he would have been able to do what he needed to do, again, in terms of just breaking down a defense and doing all those things um, at the NFL level. But I would have liked to see it because I just think sometimes – I always make the comparison – you have a great hitting catcher who's maybe not a great catcher, but he really hits. And you move him to first base, and there's a lot of first basemen who can hit. So why don't you want to keep that great hitter a catcher? And he doesn't have to be the world's greatest catcher, but it makes him so different if he can rake. And I just think Braxton Miller could have been that. So I just thought it was interesting. He's such an important part of Ohio State history. 
Uh, and I just think he's going to be one of those guys who was an unbelievable college player that people will talk about forever. And I just don't know that he's ever going to make a huge impact in the NFL. And I just don't know that I'm very surprised by that. Questions. Now, let's do, you do farts first? some farts first. Um, because uh, these farts are from the heart, which yeah. also is book 13. Book 13. Yeah. Farts from the heart, an Ohio State passion story. Last week, we talked about how we had dropped to a 4.5 overall rating. And we, did we beg? We begged. We begged. We yeah. begged for reviews. And in the last week, how many reviews have we received? 31 total reviews, 29 of which were five-star reviews. Two one-stars and 29 five-stars. We got 31 reviews. We normally get, like, what, four in a week? Yeah, we got 31 in a week. Actually, less than a week. What does that tell you, Bill Landis? We have uh, very loyal listeners who want us to be a five-star. Even if you don't mean it in your review, it doesn't matter, as long as it shows up as a composite five-star on the, on the uh, iTunes page. So we are a composite five-star again. We are. We have 459 total ratings. 417 of them are five-stars. So what are some of the nice things that a few of the reviewers said about us after we begged them to make us an overall five-star again? The most recent one says they talk about football and other stuff. Five stars. <laughs> God, I love you guys. Uh, another one says, always my favorite podcast. Five stars. Ah! Um, some of them are... Some of them are long. Uh, someone says they used to be an Ohio State hater, but now they like Ohio State and they listen to us. Uh, Did we turn them? No, I don't uh, think so. Someone says, you guys are great. This is from Larry. You guys are great. Longtime listener. Love that even though you're right and talk about the Buckeyes, you guys stay neutral during the whole Urban Saga you guys are great, and I love that you mix up every epi- so many episodes. Because uh, any chance you get a little more basketball coverage or recruiting info during the season, keep up the good work. Uh, basketball definitely closer to when the season starts. Yeah, and I think we should we should start recruiting is a little slow right now, but we can start mixing in some more recruiting. Maybe we should do like a recruiting segment every week. Yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's we'll put that on the list. Uh, There's been the thing is it's been weird. So here's here's what I think we'll do. Right. This is TCU. The next week is Urban is Back week. Yeah. And, like, we're going to come on this podcast and, like, Urban Myers can have talked to us on Monday. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that for two hours. Yep. And then the next week is Penn State. Yep. And then we're going to get back to normal. Yeah. Which is, like, weird to say. We have, like, but, a month of more of boring games. And so when we get back to normal, we will absolutely hit recruiting in there because there's going to be some stuff popping a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did see that Kane Patterson, the decommit from Ohio State who signed with Clemson, told somebody, a Clemson writer, that, like, he decommitted because of the Urban Meyer stuff, and he's rock solid to Clemson now. Yeah, so that's that surprising. was as we knew that that was an absolute, absolute effect of what happened. Lost a kid permanently because of the Urban Meyer thing, but we think that's the only one. So, um, all right, what else? Uh, much belated five star review for the time I bursted out laughing and snorted on a treadmill listening to you guys. Listening to you guys, listening to yourselves play back at half speed. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. He said, keep up the great work. You guys kill this beat. Uh, I'm tired of reading the, the good ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to the bad, the bad ones. ones. Uh, One-star review from Woody Hayes. <laughs> that actually, in real life, would also happen if he was still around. 
I generally listen to your podcast, but have been very turned off by the overall smug tone with regard to the Urban Meyer situation. I was surprised and disappointed that Doug did not respond to an email I wrote him, asking him to explain why he is spiking stories which portray the other side of the story. Uh I took a long time to present a reasonable, well-thought-out email and zero response, which tells me all I need to know. This show is a fraud. Get the iHeartRadio app and pull up 105.7 The Zone. Much better coverage and no nonsense about what to eat while they ignore any questions that show a different viewpoint. So I like 105.7 The Zone. I do. They have lovely people there. Yeah. <clears throat> We've occasionally been on there. Yep. Um, overall smug tone, book 15. The, the idea how, – how many emails? Do you get emails? I don't get a ton of emails. I used to not – I usually don't get a ton of emails either. But then like when stuff happens – you know, like the Urban Meyer thing, then you get a ton of emails. And most of them are the same-ish, which is like, most of them are like, you stink. Um, I just like texted myself something. Oh, nice. I texted myself like a whole story. The book titles? Most of them are like the same-ish, which is like, you're an idiot. Here's a 400-word explanation of why you're an idiot. And, and it's not that I don't appreciate them. It's just that I don't, I don't get back to all of them. I honestly don't. Like, do you think we should respond to every email that we get from somebody? No. I mean, so I, I guess I would like to. But also, I will say that you are heard. But I don't always have time to respond. I read them all. I don't respond to all of them. Yeah. So I apologize for that. And if the person's name does the if the per, what's the person's name? They put Woody Hayes. Oh yeah, I will try to find that email and respond. Honestly, Woody Hayes, I will try to find that email. And again, it might be hard to find in the list of you idiot. Here's why you're an idiot. Um, but I'll try to. And maybe I'll just respond to all of them and say I don't know if you're Woody Hayes or not. But here's my response. The one other uh, one star review. Titled Thumbs Down, written by I Know a Loser When I Hear It. His comment, <laughs> 16. I'm assuming it was him, comment was, one of the participants is tedious and takes himself way too seriously. But he did not specify. Oh, now that is, that is dramatic. That, see, that could be, that's a good plot twist in a Buckeye Passion Tale. Two podcasters yeah. trying to figure out, like, what if that was, say we're single, right? We're two single podcasters. Yeah. And that's from a woman. And we're trying to figure out which one she thinks is tedious and which one she doesn't think is tedious. And it drives us apart as the Buckeyes are marching toward a championship season. That's a great book. I'd read that book. Yeah, I'd read that book. Um, well, thank you so much. Like, that is honestly um, so unbelievable. And, like, I don't off, I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to cry about it. But the idea that, like, we actually take we take pride in this podcast. We do the best we can. We have a lot of fun doing this. This is one of the most fun parts of our week. <laughs> this is really funny. And the idea that you guys went out of your way to give us 29 five-star reviews so we could get back to be a five-star review. And I'm, Landis is going to tell his funny thing. But I want to say seriously, like that is awesome. Yeah. And we are incredibly, incredibly grateful to everybody who did that. I just wanted to scroll scroll through to see if there were any funny five-star reviews that I didn't read. And this one, by a name that's a bunch of letters, uh, he says, he or she says, I've neglected writing a review for months, but I can no longer stand idly by as the best Buckeye podcast gets lambasted. 
That's the word, right? For what makes it great. Discovered this podcast last year and now find myself eagerly looking forward to every Wednesday. And now that the season has started, the Saturday postgame says Doug's rants are awesome and his tangents are entertaining. Are entertaining. Bill is the voice of reason, reason and calm logic. And Tim always sounds like he's surprised to get to talk and reacts like a teenager whose parents walked in on him <clears throat> watching adult content. This is an absolute must listen for any Buckeye fan. Hopefully this review brings back the composite five star and fulfills my dream of being a loud and humorous fart. <laughs> dream fulfilled all around. That was great. Thank you guys so much. Um, all right. We'll get to some questions here. Yeah. Matt Flora at Buckeye Moflo, which is just a tremendous Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Justin Hilliard looked surprisingly tough last week against Rutgers. Any chance you see him getting more reps, reps with Tuff still working his way back and Barron looking a little lost? Also, is Barnes & Noble sponsorship sending any of you to Dallas for the game? Uh, Barnes & Noble sponsorship is tremendous and awesome and is going into the Cleveland.com coffers, which is primarily intended to make sure that all of us keep our jobs. So we love that. Um, and we're going to Dallas. Bill and I are going to Dallas. and We'll be going no matter what. But everything helps. And shout out to Barnes & Noble and Minuteman Tickets for doing it. We love you. What about Justin Hilliard? And I did. Justin Hilliard, I think, made a tackle on the sideline. Yeah. Made a play, like, out in space. And, again, I think he was a great athlete, big-time recruit, multiple injuries. I think he's a – I view him as kind of a bigger, tougher guy, right? Yeah. A little more in the tough Borland mode. And he, like, made a play in space chasing the guy to the sideline. I was kind of like, huh, well, there you go. But I don't know. Like, yeah. they can't play ten linebackers. Right. I, I just, I think he's, I think he's buried a little bit. Because one thing, for as much as Greg Schiano has said, like, we're going to rotate a linebacker, I feel like they're not really rotating a linebacker. I feel like it's been a lot of Harrison and Werner, mostly those two on the outside, and the rotation is in the middle with Tuff and Baron Browning. Yeah. But that's kind of it. Malik and Pete seem locked in. Yeah. Yeah, which is like, which is fine. Like, which is so fine. If you don't want to, ro- if you don't think you can rotate, or the guys at the top are too good to rotate, then don't rotate. I think that's what you should do. Or the guys at the top are too young and need the reps, and so you're yeah. not going to rotate. Yeah, yeah. But um, I agree. I, I thought Justin Hilliard did stand out a little bit against Rutgers. I just, I don't think he has a spot on meaningful defensive snaps so at middle linebacker behind Browning and, and Borland. And listen, people get hurt, you know. So like, it's good. I mean, it's good to have Dante Booker and Keandre Jones and Justin Hilliard there, but. It's just an interesting thing that has developed here now because they do rotate at so many places. They rotate at corner. They rotate on the defensive line. They rotate at receiver. They rotate at running back. They rotate at tight end. You're, people are getting conditioned to be like, why aren't, why aren't the backups playing? Yep. And like five years ago, like, it was like, well, they're, cause they're the backups. If the starter's not hurt or it's not a blowout, of course they're not going to play. But it's interesting that people are looking for that because that's the way they do things. And I think it's, probably good that that's evolved it shows it says something about their depth it says something about their approach to things but also they're going to play the best guys and if they think they're playing the best guys they're just going to keep warner and harrison on the field and it feels like that's the way this is going to go yeah i agree um Seth Shaner, and then we can get to a couple email questions then too. Seth Shaner at Shanerbaum always has good questions. Compare this year's offense to previous high-scoring Ohio State offenses under Meyer. Is it fair to say this year seems much more smoothly run, plays being brought in quickly and few if any hiccups compared to others, or is it just the competition? I think it's more smoothly run. You've asked about that. I think you think it's more smoothly run. I think there's better balance. I think like the Braxton offenses were in 12 and 13 were Braxton, Braxton. In 13, they added Carlos Hyde, but they just didn't throw it like this. 
14 was, the, and, and then since then it's been the JT offense and we know what the deal is with that. So yep. to me, that's why it stands out so much. It, it actually is taking me back a little bit to, um, and to be honest, like I didn't watch Ohio State football before I started covering them. So I am not a great guy to talk about the 2002 national championship team or Joe Germain or anything like that. But this is what you're talking about when it's like, well, what are they going to do? Are they going to have Troy Smith throw it to Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez, or are they going to hand it to Antonio Pittman and Beanie Wells? And that's like the 2006 undefeated number one team offense and a quarterback who won the Heisman. And I feel like that's what this is doing. I feel like the receivers aren't quite as good as Anthony Gonzalez and Ted Ginn Jr., just because those guys are both first-round picks. No offense to these receivers. I feel like the backs might be a little bit better. Beanie was really good, but he was still young then. He was still a freshman. Um, and I think Dobbins and Weber are a little cut above Antonio Pittman, who I, I also think is underrated in the history of Ohio State football. He was a really good running back for a really good team. And then Troy Smith was unbelievable. Haskins throws it better than Troy. Troy was a great playmaker and as a senior ran that offense to perfection. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And then when it broke down, he would th- run to throw. He was great. I think Haskins' upside is higher than that. So that's yep. what this is reminding me of because I felt like that 2006 offense, they could hit you any way they wanted to. They could make a big play in the throw game, and then they'd put you away because they had a bunch of maulers on the offensive line that would blow open a hole for Antonio Pittman and put you to sleep. Yeah, I, I think compared to the previous Urban Meyer offenses, this is this is the best one I've seen. And the competition may be helping some of that, but uh, – the only other passer they've had like this is Cardell, and I, I think Dwayne is a more polished passer. Cardell could really throw it deep and had a Devin Smith to throw it to, and that was really deadly for them. But Dwayne works more areas of the field, and maybe the two running backs aren't quite what Zeke Elliott was, but I think combined they're something close to that. And I think like the offensive line can potentially be as good as it was then, and the play calling just seems much smoother now. And maybe it's because it was compared to a disaster in 2015 and 2016. If I went back and like thought about 14 and watched some stuff, maybe it would feel as smooth then with Tom Herman calling the plays. Uh, but this is really good with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson. So I, I think I agree. It's smoother and the most versatile I think it's been. And I think the thing that I'm most curious about, and we've kind of danced around this whole thing, is it's smoother because there's no urban. I think the direct question about that is will the tempo stay as fast as frequently? Yeah. When you have another cook, the head cook, the head chef, the guy who owns the restaurant, the guy who built the chain. This is Michael Simon. This is this is uh, this is who's the pizza guy? Who's... Not, not Papa John. No, no. <laughs> uh, not Dave Brandon, who destroyed Domino's and they had to uh, build it back from rubble after he left. Who's uh, who's the guy with all the pizza chains? Who's who is famous? Luciano LeBron Pavarotti. James. LeBron no. James. <laughs> who's the guy? Luigi. What's know, his we, name? I no, no Luigi, Luigi Papadopoulos. It's a guy. Look up famous guys who have a pizza place. Famous <laughs> guys pizza. He's going to have the first name up is going to be a guy. Maybe it's not pizza. Are you thinking about like Emerald? Emerald. Yeah, he's not a pizza guy. <laughs> but he had a pizza. Okay. <laughs> Luigi Papadopoulos is pretty close to Emerald Lagasse. <laughs> Urban Meyer is Emerald Lagasse. So it's like they have – he invented it. He invented food. And now, you know, Ryan Day is an incredibly successful head chef. But when Emeril comes back and he comes in the kitchen, you gotta, you got to give a little Emeril. You can't tell Emeril, listen, man, you're mucking up the works. We're getting the orders out on time. We know the recipes. You made the recipes. We're cooking the recipes. Get out of the kitchen, Emeril. Yeah. 
Get out of get out of the kitchen, Mr. Papadopoulos. You can't do that. So Urban's going to come in the kitchen. I, I think like the calls, the way they attack, that's not going to change. I'm curious if perhaps we see if it slows down. And I think that's what we almost mean by smooth. We mean fast and smooth, book 18. But that's, right? That's, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think that's possible that it's – because how, how good do you feel about the – the really metronome good. quality of this tempo. Really good. And it wasn't as fast against Rutgers, and Ryan Day made a point of that. Um, and it was clear watching. They were really, I've heard a story about it. They were really fast against Oregon State. Like, I, possibly the fastest they've ever played consistently against Oregon State. And it wasn't quite that fast against Rutgers. Um, but it was still pretty fast. And I, I don't think that changes whenever Meyer comes back. And the other thing about it, too, like, it's, it, there's two things. There's, there's the game day play calling and, like, the game planning. Yep. I think it's important to remember that Urban Meyer was heavily involved in the game plan for Rutgers. Right. And that's what it looked like. And it's not like they practiced something all week and they're like, hey, guys, Urban's gone. Let's do something different. Right. So I would be encouraged by that if I'm an Ohio State fan. But it was also not quite as fast. Yeah, but it was still – it was wasn't – fast. It wasn't – it's raining. Let's run the quarterback. Right. Right. Because the thing that I really like in tempo, too, when they do it is I like tempo and pound, book 19. Yeah. The idea of <laughs> – you get up to the line and hand it off eight yards. You get up to the line and hand it off 11 yards. You yeah. get, they can't even catch their breath. And Isaiah Prince talked about that, that the offensive line, they always talk about this, but he took a lot of pride. Like, I'm making sure this line, as the old guy on that line, we've got to be in shape because we've got to do that. And if you feel like you get an edge and you might think, oh, the TCU's line is littler, you know, they'll be able to do yeah. it. These are five big athletes. I think Jordan is yeah, an, sure. Jordan is an elite athlete. Yeah. I think Thayer so, Munford. So is Isaiah Prince. Isaiah Prince is an elite athlete. I think Thayer Munford has a lot of athletic potential. I think Knox and Pridgen are probably a little more maulers at guard. Yeah. They're not as athletic as Pat Elfline and Billy Price. Billy Price, I think, is a freak athlete yeah. at guard, but they're good. And I think the idea of like big athletic linemen who are bigger than you and maybe in better shape than you and more athletic than you and leaning and pushing you down – Again and again and again, and you can't sub and you can't catch your breath, and they go on a seven yard, eighty seven play, eighty yard drive, where they just get ten yards to run every time is out there. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's harder it's harder with the way they were playing last week when they were throwing so much, and they were throwing on first down a lot too. And it's like it's, teams are selling out that you're not going to run tempo just to get two yards a pop, and teams are selling out to stop the run. So you slow it down a little bit. But against Oregon State, they were getting ten yards a run, and they, and they were really moving. You can always send us questions to our Gmail account. What's that account? BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Where are you? Are you dipping in there a little bit? Can you dip in and uh, find yeah. a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like this question. It was from uh, Taylor Clawson emailed it in. He says, what is more likely for next season? One, Chris Ash is Ohio State's co-defensive coordinator because he's fired from Rutgers. Two, Tom Herman is a co-offensive coordinator because he's fired from Texas. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Three, Ryan Day is Ohio State's head coach. Oh, boy. I'm all in on the Chris Ash Greg Schiano swap. Yeah. Yeah. You think Schiano would do it? You know what? I, the thing that I think is interesting is boy, that's an interesting question. Who is that? Who asked that question? Taylor Clawson. Taylor Clawson. Bring the nuance on that. So here's the thing, right? Greg Schiano and our boy Ari has tried to get Greg Schiano to talk about what happened at Tennessee. And Greg Schiano keeps saying, this isn't the time or place. There will be a time or place. And Ari keeps saying, is, is this it? it? <laughs> is it now? Book 20. Uh, so, like, the Tennessee thing blew up in Greg Schiano's face. 
Fair, not fair, whatever. Like, I don't, it's not worth getting into that. I don't know if that's right or wrong. It happened. It's Tennessee's thing. I'm not going to blame Tennessee fans. They, it's their program. They, they've been a cluster. They want a coach that is whatever. Um, I think it had some influence on Greg Schiano not being the head coach here. I don't think it was the only thing. I think they also didn't maybe want Urban Meyer's best friend. They wanted somebody who does not have a direct Urban Meyer link. Ryan Day is just here because he's a good coach. And he has a connection through Chip Kelly, but he's a Chip Kelly guy. He's not necessarily an Urban Meyer guy, even though he was a GA at Florida. He actually is an Urban Meyer guy. Uh, wasn't he a GA at Florida with Urban? Who? Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Yes. Right, I'm wrong. He's a damn long guy. He's a what? Dan Mullen guy. Yeah, he's a Dan Mullen guy. He's in the tree. What am I talking about? He's an Urban Meyer guy, but he's not Urban Meyer's best friend for 20 years like Greg Schiano is. But if Greg Schiano, okay, so like this happened at Tennessee. So it happened at Tennessee. So like if, if, I'm, and who's, who's a random school? If Illinois tries to hire Greg Schiano, is there a chance that, it's, that the Illinois fans are going to be like, no, we no saw way. what the Tennessee fans did? No way. No way? Not Illinois. I think they would roll at the Red Carpet for Greg. Would he take the Illinois job? No. Well, well, I guess it depends. It depends. Like, if he gets the feeling that like Tennessee is going to happen at any legitimate job, right? Then maybe. Okay, so what? What would you rather be, Illinois head coach or Ohio State's defensive coordinator? Okay, and what would you rather be, Illinois head coach or Rutgers head coach? If you're Greg Schiano, Rutgers head coach. Yeah. So, is it possible that the Tennessee thing showed that he might be just a little too whatever, fair or not? And this all relates back to. Did he have any connection to the Penn State stuff when he was on the staff and Jerry Sandusky was doing stuff? And did people back then know or not know? And there's like a throwaway line that's hearsay that like there's no evidence that Greg Schiano had anything to do with that at all. But he was employed there at the time, just like Larry Johnson was. Yep. You know, so it's like it's it's whether a a school that's going to hire him decides to stick that to him or not. And again, it's not about whether it's fair or unfair. It's about whether it happens. Is it possible that that would happen at any Tennessee level school? And so then if you're going to take a, if you want to be a head coach again and you're going to take a step below that, why not go back to the school yeah. that you, you are their Woody Hayes? And you love it. Yeah. And you can just feel like it's mutual. And you say, you know what? I'm just going to go back and I'm going to be there for 20 years. And if it happens again, and if I do so well that I can get past all that stuff, and then, you know, in eight years, Michigan wants me, then maybe. But if not, I love Rutgers and they love me and let's go do it. I want to live. Is that out there? I think it's out there. And I, I want to see a world where Ohio State's trying to recruit New Jersey and now Greg Schiano's at Rutgers. Yeah. And that's not to say that Ohio State couldn't recruit it, but Greg Schiano is pretty important in New Jersey football. And this is a cluster right now, Rutgers, right? I mean, I'm mean to Rutgers. I don't apologize for it. We Then we say, well, they go and beat other teams. They shrink against Ohio State. I thought Chris Ash was a fine hire. Everybody here liked Chris Ash. Chris Ash really wanted to be a head coach. You know, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like it's working. Is it working? Uh, I think you can see increased talent on the roster. Um I think maybe he's not recruited as well as was expected of him, but it's a hard that's a hard what's it hard road to hoe, book twenty one. Yes. Um So like if he underperforms this year and underperforming is like if you win fewer than what, four games, five games? Right. 
I could see a change happening, especially if you think he can get great. And this is one of those things as like there are national college writers who always say this, like nobody gets offered a job. Like they either decide, are you taking this job before we offer it to you or not? And if there's donors, Greg Schiano still knows people in New Jersey and knows people at Rutgers. And if there are donors at Rutgers who are like, dude, you want to do this? And he's like, I think I'd do it. And then Chris Ash gets fired, not 100% because Chris Ash deserves to be fired, but because they've talked to Greg Schiano and Greg Schiano's ready to come. Yeah. So he gets fired for Greg Schiano. And then Urban Meyer has to replace Greg Schiano. And you know who was a really good defensive coordinator here? I actually think that is by far my number one option yeah, on that me, list. Me too. The Tom Herman one is just not possible. Right. And I don't think Urban's done after this year. Right. So, yeah. Can we short answer on this? If he is done, is Ryan Day the head coach? Like, is Ryan Day... I think he could be. Like, it depends on how the season goes. I forgot, honestly, I wrote this for Tuesday morning. I just basically wrote a column that was like, I'm writing about Urban Meyer because I feel like I should should write about Urban Meyer, except that I have nothing to say about Urban Meyer because I forgot he was the head coach during Ryan Day's news conference. I forgot Ryan Day wasn't the head coach. Now, are news conferences the most important thing a head coach does? No. Although, we can go back to Big Ten Media Days in Chicago, and if you think that news conferences aren't important, ask how things went there and what the result was. So, face of a program kind of stuff does matter. It doesn't matter nearly as much as, like, winning and recruiting and leading within the program. But it seems like that's going pretty well, too. And I I didn't think, and I think you said after the news conference, like, his answers maybe weren't quite as good. He's much more comfortable. What's the thing you said? It's clear, it's clear since Urban was back, came back into the building two weeks ago that Ryan Day is much more comfortable answering questions as the offensive coordinator and not very comfortable at all answering questions as Ohio State's head coach. Which makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's not a criticism. I think it was just obvious. And he's definitely not saying anything about the defense, which is why they keep giving us Shiana, which works out great. It's awesome. But he just, but within that context, he just looked like a head coach to me. Yeah. And I thought, like, everybody, like, went crazy after week one. Like, look at that. And I actually thought, he wasn't quite as impressive in week one as he got credit for. But I think like by, never are. by week yeah. three of the news conference, it just seemed normal mm-hmm. to me. It was like, oh, Ohio State's the best team in the country and Ryan Day's the head coach. Yeah, that's what's happening here. Oh, wait, no, Urban Meyer's the head coach. Like, I swear to God, I had that moment. That like, it's not, uh, as somebody who is paid to be around the team all the time, as are you. Yep. We're not at practice. We're not. What's the percent that like you feel the impact of Urban Meyer not being there? It's low. I it's really ze- low. I, I, don't, I, don't, I have not thought about it. I even like in the in the Oregon State game story, I like thought about it. I was like I didn't write Urban Meyer's name and like felt like that was a mistake. But it just didn't cross my mind. And it, we're like we're not burying Urban. No. Like you gave him a lot of credit. Like the reason it feels that way is because of what he's built. But it is kind of weird that like I haven't I haven't thought about him. I saw him the other day. We were there for interviews. He was like walking into the, they had like a temporary meal room, like off the practice field because they're doing some construction. And I saw him walk into there. I was like, oh yeah, Urban's back. Yeah. But before that, I hadn't really thought about it. And the impact on us matters zero. I mean, it's nothing compared to the impact on the staff and the players at Ohio State. That's all that matters. Yeah. But it also matters to the fans. And it's like, I, you know, I mean, that matters to the fans. And I know there are people that love Urban, but like, 
I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think from a national perspective, there's still maybe a national idea about that out there. And when he comes back, it's going to be a story. For Urban sure. Meyer is back. What does it mean? Like, there, I think I've read national stories, people trying to figure out what does it mean that he's not here? And like, on the ground, my answer is, I'm telling you, man, it's nothing. Doesn't <laughs> feel like it means much. All right, we're going to end soon. Is there any more, any more questions you really want to get to? I'll, here's a quick one from Kelvin Corbin. It's absolute zero. Should we be worried that the Big Ten's disappointing start may impact Ohio State when it comes to comparing playoff contender profiles? The idea that Michigan lost to Notre Dame and Michigan State lost to Arizona State, those are two of the most high-profile non-conference games. I, I mean, I don't even know who else. Are the three most high-profile non-conference games, those two games plus Ohio State TCU that the Big Ten's playing? Wisconsin didn't play anybody. No, Penn ne- State played Pitt. Pitt State. Nebraska lost to Colorado. That's they haven't won a big time non conference game. Northwestern plays Notre Dame. They uh, won't win that in the middle of the year. Yeah, but like they're not going to have a good not. This conference is not going to have a good non conference win really outside of Ohio State beating TCU. Yeah, no, I'm not worried about it. the Ohio State wins a Big Ten. I think they're fine. I'm not worried about it. But like, it's some kind of world like it hurts the two loss Big Ten team. It, it hurts. For sure, yeah, if, yeah, but that's that's true. I think regardless, because if you have two losses, then you've got to be building resumes of like, listen, we're beating the crap out of each other. We're all so good. Look what we did to everybody else, but we just beat each other up. It's impossible to get through the nation's best conference with fewer than two losses. Put us in the playoff. I think that argument has been impacted. Yeah, yeah, but I also I, I don't I don't think it'll matter because I don't think Ohio State's going to lose twice. I don't. I don't. I don't think so either. I, I like on one hand, it's like okay, big deal. They lost to Arizona State. On the other hand, it's like come on, Michigan State. You're you know, supposed to be good this year. Arizona State all time is ten and zero against Big Ten teams in Tempe. Really? Yep. Learned that today. So I don't know. I think it's not nothing. I think it. I think the point of like it probably won't matter because Ohio State will be good enough, or Michigan will be good enough. Like the Big Ten champ will be good enough to make its own case. But I think like they're all going to be ranked so. <coughs> Penn State's ranked. Penn State hasn't lost, but Penn State is 11. Michigan State is still in the top 25, even though it lost. Michigan, I think, moved up on number 19. And and Wisconsin, if that's a team you'd beat in the Big Ten Championship, is is a top, I think they're number six. Um, as long as that's the case, I think it's okay. Like, the, the national perception, I think, can be separate from the playoff committee's perception. And if the playoff committee can go up there on the last day of the rankings coming out and say Ohio State beat five ranked teams or four ranked teams, whatever it would be, including one out of the league against TCU, I think they're fine. What uh, good email questions you have left? You want to get in? We have uh, five minutes because i got to do the Big Ten coaches call. Yeah. Um, Andrew Patterson sent in an email. He says, if Ohio State beats TCU by four touchdowns or better, could they move up in the polls or are they stuck at four until Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia lose? And when I first read that question, I was inclined to say they'd be stuck at four. But I'm changing my mind because after this week, and if maybe I'm, I don't know all the schedules, that would be the best win. Yeah, Alabama's best win is Louisville on a, on a neutral field. Clemson beat Texas A&M by two points on the road. TCU is better than Texas A&M. Georgia's best win is out South Carolina. TCU is better than South Carolina. And and I think I think people, it's not a road game, but it's kind of a, it's road, kind game. Of a road game. Basically it's basically a road game. If it's enough of a road game for people to give Ohio State credit for winning on the road. Yes, I think that is true. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know that they're going to get past Bama. I would not be surprised. If they beat the crap out of TCU, I think they might be two. I think they're going to get some first place votes, for sure. And because Clemson, I mean, to, to, I don't know. I don't. It's, maybe Texas A&M is going to prove to be awesome, but like, I don't know. TC, Clemson has not looked 
world-beating. Not yet. you got to figure out the quarterback. I know. High State has it figured out. Baby. Because you know what? They got two, baby. They got Tate. Andrew Ardle, our guy. Turns out Andrew Ardle was at the Hofbrauhaus House show alone. His dad was His not dad there. Was not. I had said they both were there. His dad corrected that. Um, Andrew Ardle, thanks for coming to the show. Uh, he's our guy. When do you typically average a higher daily caloric intake? During football season or during the off season? I've been recording this entire thing. Um, during the football season. How much, like, crap do you eat during football season? Uh, my problem during football season is I forget to eat. Well, then your caloric intake is lower. No, because I make up for it at dinner time. <laughs> so it's like I eat nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, it's 8 p.m. Let me put down 4,000 calories. It's yeah. not always that. I, I, that's how it was when I first started doing this. Um, it's, I'm better now mostly because I live with my girlfriend and she makes sure I'm better about it now. Um, but it's definitely during football season. Like on Saturdays, I'm just like constantly stuffing I almost cursed the stuff in my face. Yeah. Book 23. <laughs> yeah. I like crap. I'm going to die when I'm 50. Um, anyway, that's a good Buckeye talk. Uh, it's really hard, man. I eat, <clears throat> I eat two thirds of my meals like in my car during football season. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do. Or McDonald's every Monday. That's yeah. enough to take 10 years off your life. No. And then I sleep my children. They always my, – my wife makes bacon as part – like my children eat like fruit and other things and also maybe bacon, a slice or two of bacon. But my wife always makes too much bacon that my children don't eat. So whenever I wake up – and sometimes when I'm really up late writing, I wake up late. And then I come downstairs and there's bacon on the table already. Nice. There's like four pieces of cold bacon. And it's like, well, I was going to eat this for breakfast, but now there's bacon here. What are you going to do, walk past bacon? I Not got, me. I got to call them. Let's wrap this up. Be late. Bill Landis and Doug Maurice, thanks to you guys for listening to this uh, latest edition of Buckeye Talk. Thanks to all the reviews. If you want to add to the reviews, you can do that on iTunes. It certainly will be appreciated. We're back to five-star. We're the 16th most popular college and high school podcast in America, which probably is a mistake, but we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, we are both going to Texas. We are flying on Friday. We might have a little fun stuff for you off that. Um, big game Saturday night. Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fowler calling it on ABC. Buckeye Talk podcast after that game. Make sure you catch that. We'll be back next week then. And this Wednesday podcast will all be all about the return of Urban Meyer. Interesting, interesting times ahead for what I think might be the best team in college football. So thanks to ShopOhioState.com. Thanks to Minuteman Tickets. For Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.